The title of my message tonight is uh, <clears throat> Whose Side Are You On? I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And I want you to look with me, please, here in Revelation uh, 16, verse 13. It says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them in the place, uh, gathered them together into the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Here, John makes it crystal clear that in the end of time, just before Jesus returns, there will be a time where three unclean spirit-like frogs come out of the beast, out of the a dragon, out of the, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. He says that, that why they go out, they're the spirits of who? Well, spirits of devils, he goes on to say. And you're right, it is spiritualism that's involved in all this. But you see, here are the spirits of devils, and they go out to gather, notice that word, gather together the kings of the earth and all the people of the world. And he was going to gather them where? To the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And this is the final gathering that Satan will attempt to bring the people of this world under his banner, whereby he may gather them to the point where they will be actually destroyed. Because God, when Jesus returns and those that are found under the banner of Satan, well, they will be destroyed. But this is the gathering time when Satan goes out and there he gathers together uh, all the people that he can. And he says even the kings of the earth, you see, no one is exempt from the temptations of Satan. No one is exempt from this point whereby Satan may try to deceive them to bring them under his banner. You see, all of us, tempt, Satan will try to attempt to, to bring us under his banner. But that decision is left up to you and to me, you see, to, to decide whether you will do that. Satan cannot force you, but rather he can tempt you to lead you to make that decision to fall under his banner. But so here it makes it clear that, that all the Bible or all the world uh, will try, will be, Satan will try to gather under his banner. Now, in this time of crisis that, that Satan is bringing to this world, God is not going to stand by idly just to see all this take place and, and just see his people also, you know, if, if it were possible, to walk and, and be deceived. Because if you turn me to Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, and notice with me verse 15. Joel chapter 2 verse 15. Joel chapter 2 verse 15. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn what? Assembly. Assembly. Now notice the next verse what he says. Gather the people. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders of the ch and gather the children and those that have sucked the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore, should they say among the people, where is their God? And so here in a time when Satan is gathering the people under his banner and, and under his direction, God too is gathering his people together. God is calling forth for that solemn assembly to gather the saints, to gather them under his banner. Now, Isaiah saw the same gathering 
He saw the time when, when God would, would pull the people together in this gathering time. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Notice with me verse 11. And it came to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left in Assyria and Egypt and Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And so here Isaiah says that the Lord's going to stretch out his hand again a second time and he's going to recover who? The remnant of his people. And where are they? Why, they're scattered all over the place, aren't they? Hey, scattered everywhere. And so when God's people are gathered together, the remnant, which are scattered all over the place, notice what they do. Notice what they do in verse 14. But they, referring to the remnant of verse 11, but they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall, they shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall do what? Shall obey them. So in the time when God's going to gather his saints together, at the same time when Satan is gathering his people together, it says that God will stretch out his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people, and they then will go forth and go to the children of Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon, and they will obey them, the remnant. Daniel saw the same thing in Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Now I want you to keep in mind who obeys the remnant. Who are they? Why, it was Edom, Moab, and the children of who? Of Ammon. Right? So you keep those three things in your mind. Now look with me please here in, uh, in Daniel chapter 11 verse 40. It says, and at the time of the end, it didn't say the end of time. There's a big difference between the end of the time and the time of the end. This is referring to 1798, which brought about the announcement that the end of the thing, uh, all things have come to pass. So here it says, at the time of the end, Shall the king of the south push against him, the king of the north? And there's referring to the time when the king of the south was e there, Egypt. But Egypt was a symbol of what? Atheism. And so what atheistic country around 1798 came against the papacy? France. That's right, it was France. So very clearly, we indicate in verse C, that it was France pushing against the papacy. It goes on to say this. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind and chariots and horsemen and many ships, and he shall enter into, many, into the countries and, over, and shall overflow and pass over. Now, here I believe is what the text in Revelation 13.3 says, And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. I believe this is clearly indicating the time when the wound is being healed, where he'll go out to all the world. And notice he comes against the king of the south, and of course there's atheism, which really is where you derive communism and all the rest. And I believe this is actually being fulfilled before our very eyes today. When the papacy is out there destroying communism, taking it down. And why it says it here, it says with whirlwind chariots, horsemen, many ships, I believe it's simply saying this, that what it's talking about is the time where the papacy would use both political, economical, religious, and military means, whatever it takes, to destroy the atheistic power. And really, he's done that. He's gone out and actually used other countries, other uh, governments, other, for, through military, economic, and social ways to destroy the, the communist countries and to actually bow down, to have it bow down to, to the papacy. 
But notice he says he doesn't stop there. He goes to all different countries. And we see that being done today. The papacy moving all over the place, moving fast as it can be. The Pope, man, every time you pick up the paper, it seems like he's in a different country. And so we see this being a cat. Now listen, in verse 40, 41, watch what happens. He goes on and says, And he shall also enter into the glorious land. Now friends, this is not talking about Palestine. It's talking about the church. The glorious land. Because this is Palestine, this is Jerusalem. This is Israel. And my friends, we... God's church, our spiritual Israel. We are spiritual Palestine. And so, my friends, the time is coming, believe me, when Satan will use the papacy to come against us. And I believe that will be very, very soon, sooner than we can even imagine. But in this time, when Satan will try to use the papacy of the kingdom of the north to come against us, notice what happens. It says, And he shall enter into the glorious land, and many, now notice the word countries, because that's a supplied word. It doesn't belong there. Right? So I'm going to leave that out. Now watch how it reads. And he shall enter into the glorious land, the church, and many shall be overthrown. Why, we know that, my friends, that many in the church are going to be overthrown. We're told there by the servant of the Lord in the great controversy that there would come a time when she said that she saw a large proportion of those that believe and have faith in the third angel's message will abandon their position and join the ranks of opposition. Why, she said a large proportion here, Daniel said that when the king of the north comes against God's people, in that day, many shall be overthrown. But notice, notice this. What happens after this? But these shall escape out of his, the king of the north, hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief children of Ammon. Why, that's the same people that Isaiah saw when he said that God would stretch out his hand a second time to recover the remnant. And they, Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon, would obey them, the remnant. In this time, during the shaking time, when God would, would, would uh, have uh, you know, many going out of the church, well, God's going to bring people in too. My question, who is Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon? Who are they that going to, are going to join the remnant in this time? Who are they? Turn with me to Amos, because here very clearly Amos uh, helps us to see who it is. Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9. Look at verse 8. Amos chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon, a sinful, upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. Now, in other words, God's saying, Listen, I'm looking upon my kingdom, it's sinful. He said, I'm going to destroy it from off the face of the earth, except I'm going to save somebody. See, somebody's going to be saved when God goes out to destroy his kingdom. But notice in verse 9 what he says, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel from among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. And so very clearly he says that what is he going to do? How is he going to destroy his kingdom? In this sense, what is he going to do? He's going to shake it. My friends, here now, Amos is looking at the shaking. He sees God shaking and sifting his church. And this, I believe, is exactly what Isaiah or, or Daniel saw when he said that many shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even even Moab and the children of Ammon. And remember, Isaiah said that when the remnant was recovered a second time, while Edom and Moab and Ammon obeyed them. 
Now he goes on to say this in verse 10. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake us nor prevent us. And so very clearly, here are the people in the time and the shaking that say, uh, why? Why? This evil shall not overtake us? Why? We're not going to be destroyed. And notice what he says. Who is it that's dying by the sword? He says, my people. But who are they? They are sinners that are God's people. And you know there's a very clear difference between sinners and saints. You know that, don't you? You know the difference between a sinner and a saint? You know the difference between a sinner and a saint? Look at me in Revelation 14, I'll show you. Revelation chapter 14, I'll show you the difference between a sinner and a saint. Revelation 14, verse 12. Revelation 14, 12. Notice the characteristics of a saint. Revelation 14, 12 says this. Here is the patience of the saint. Now here's a saint, right? No question about it. Here's a saint. Now my question is, what's the difference between a sinner and a saint? It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they, talking about the saints, that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. My friends, the difference between a sinner and a saint is simply this. The saints keep the commandments. The sinners don't. <laughs> and he said, in the time when God's going to shake his church by all the sinners, my people, they'll die. Because, see, they're making excuses for their sins. They're saying, why? This evil shall not overtake us. We're not going to be destroyed because of our sins. But God said, oh, yes, it will. He said, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. You see, friends, God's testimony is crystal clear again. The wage of the sin is death. It's not life. But then he goes on to talk about the restoration of Israel, bringing it back in the shaking time. This is identical to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, where he's recovering the remnant. Okay? This is identical in characteristics and description. Verse 11 says this, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up his ruins, I will build it as the days of old. Here is a time where it seems as though the church is going to about to fall, but God says it won't fall. He says, because I'm going to raise it up. And he says he's going to bring it back like the days of what? The days of old. You see, friends, listen. God's church is coming back to apostolic purity. You see, we're going to come back to the purity of which we once stood. God's going to raise it up like he did in the days of old. When it was pure and holy, undefiled. When there was no sinners in the camp, there were nothing but saints. That's not the established church, is it? Oh, that's, that's, that's us. That's God's church. Now, whether we have buildings or lamps and computers and secretaries, listen, I don't think so. But there'll be God's church. You see, God's church does not constitute a building, a brick. And so here he goes up, but he, says he raises it up. He raises it up like the days of old. We're coming back to apostolic purity. Now, when this happens, this is again the equivalent to when Isaiah prophesied that God would stretch out his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people. This is the equivalence. He goes on to say what would happen. Verse 12, that they, who is that? That's the same that God said in verse 9, the grain would not fall upon the earth. That's the wheat. That's the same that John said to were the saints. Why, it's the same that Isaiah said to were the remnant. All right? That they may possess the remnant of who? Well, there's the same people Isaiah saw, the same people Daniel saw. My question is, who's Edom, Moab, and the children of Ammon? Amos goes to tell you that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my, my name. 
saith the Lord that doeth this. Why, who are Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon in the day that God said he'll reach out his hand a second time to recover the remnant and they shall obey the remnant? Who are they? Why, they're the heathen out there who are actually called by God's name. They're God's children out there. You know, Jesus talked about it in the same way because look with me in John chapter 10. Look with me, please, in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Notice with me, please, verse 14. John chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16 says this, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. You see, Jesus said, I have other sheep not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and, and they'll hear my voice. They'll hear my voice. John saw the same thing in Revelation chapter 18. He saw the same thing. Revelation 18, notice with me, verse 4. Revelation 18, verse 4. He said this, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, who? And where are they at? That's right. They're in Babylon. He said, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that receive not of her, her plagues. You see, my friends, here's a time when God would call forth His people in the gathering time. And Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon would obey the remnant in their trumpet call. And they would come out of Babylon. That's why Daniel said that these would escape out of his hand. They escaped out of who? The king of the north, Babylon's hand. That's what John saw in Revelation 18. They came out of Babylon. They escaped out of Babylon. And it was the remnant that God recovered the second time that oh, that they gave to the uh, people of God out there the trumpet call. That's why it says they obeyed them. They obeyed them. Now, let me ask you this. What message are they giving? They have to be preaching something, shouldn't they? How can you say, come out of her, my people, <laughs> unless you give a message? Turn with me to Joel chapter 2, because I want to show you something here in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, notice with me please, verse 23. He said, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause, oh, I'm sorry, yes, and he will cause to come down on you the rain, the former rain, and the, what? The latter rain. Now listen, in the time when God will gather his people, call them out of Babylon, Right? He says, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you the latter rain. Latter rain power coming down this time when this God's people go out to pro proclaim. Notice with me in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids of those days will I pour out my what? So we know that the latter rain is what? The Spirit of God. Poured out in the Fullness. 
That's right. Well, Pentecost, that's right. But the Pentecost was just a, was a little bit, a, 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 a little example. We're going out with the latter rain. And so God said in the time when he recovers his people, he shakes his church, he purifies it, he makes it whole, he brings it back to apostolic purity. He said, in that day, I'm going to pour out the Holy Ghost. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven, as Malachi said, and pour out a blessing so much that you can't receive it. And what's coming out of heaven, friends? Rain. The latter rain. The Holy Spirit. And he says, in that day when they receive the latter rain, he says, they're going to go out prophesying, going out proclaiming. What are they going to be proclaiming? That's right, sister. Revelation chapter 14. I want you to notice something here because here he gives them the, the three angels' message and he tells the people of God to give this message. And you say, well, how do you know that this is the message they'll be preaching to the world? Well, I'm going to show you in Revelation chapter uh, 14. Notice with me verse 6. Because you see, God only has one message. You know, He only has one beautiful truth. And I'm going to show you from this verse how it is that this is the message that, we, that Joel said they'll be prophesying of in the last days. And in Revelation 14, verse 6, it says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having what? Now notice the next two words. It's the same gospel that was in the beginning. It's the same at the end. It's the everlasting gospel. It is the message upon which God will give to this world to save them from their sins, to give them that trumpet call to come out over my people. And so here's the everlasting gospel. And there it goes on to talk about Revelation 14, 6 through 11, the three angels' messages. That's what they'll be preaching, that distinctive message, giving the judgment our cry and talking about fearing God and give glory to Him and worship Him that made the heaven and the earth and the seas and fountains of waters. There the Sabbath message comes in, you see. And also giving glory to God. It's all about the health message. By giving glory to God. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, all to the glory of God. And so giving glory to God, my friends, is giving God the glory in the health message. And you see, because the health message will help you to prepare yourself in your character. And so glory has synonymous to character and their relevance in the health message and so on. And so here it very clearly indicates that this is vital to the first angel's message, but the second angel's message says Babylon has fallen, has fallen. So it will denounce Babylon. And here we find very clearly, it says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Wine and Bible prophecy, there you find in Isaiah 29, verses 6 or 9 through 13, very clearly indicate that wine is a symbol of, of false doctrine, commandments of men. And so they're here, they'll very clearly expose uh, false doctrines of Babylon. You see, some people accuse us when we go out and preach and say, why well, you ought not to be worried about exposing those heresies. And listen, listen, that's part of the second angel's message, why we are exposed Babylon and its false doctrines. But then it goes on to the third angels, because it doesn't stop there, there's three angels. He goes on to say uh, that they ought to... Um, Saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive the mark and his forehead in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so there again, they're exposing the beast power, his image, his mark, and his number. And so it's very clearly uh, given to us uh, what it is, what we are to do, and there's the third angel's message. My question is this, who's preaching this message? All right? You're right. I'm going to show you how you prove it from the Bible. Revelation 14, verse 12. Watch this. Here is the patience of the saints. Now, there are two characteristics given to the saints. What are they? They keep the commandments of God and have what? All right? And who is this? 
These are the saints. These are the ones giving the three angels messages, right? No question about it. Because it says, here are they. Here are the ones that are preaching. Now, you said it was the remnant, and you're absolutely correct. Now, notice the two identifying marks in Revelation 14, 12. Keep the commandments, faith of Jesus. Now turn with me to Revelation 12, verse 17. And I'm going to show you that it is absolutely correct that it is the remnant. Revelation 12, verse 17 says, And the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now I'm going to stop right there. Remnant. What is the implication of the word remnant? Does it, I'll answer you this question, does the word remnant imply anywhere within the definition of the word, does it imply different? As a quick answer, she knew. That's right, it doesn't at all. There's not the slightest implication anywhere in the definition of the word remnant where it says it's different. You'll not find it. Remnant just simply means what? That's right, the remnant, the last piece. And so here it's simply saying the last piece of what? The remnant of her, the woman's seed. So here's the last part of the church. But it's not different. It's the same. The same as the beginning. And that's why Amos said that God would raise up the tabernacle of David, close up the breaches thereof, and what? Bring it back to the days of old. You see, God's going to bring back the remnant to the days of old, to apostolic purity. That's why it's called the remnant. Because there's nothing different, there's nothing new. It's just simply the last part of God's faithful people. And he's brought them back to apostolic purity. Notice the two characteristics. They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. That's the same people, Revelation 14, 12. It's the same people. There's no difference. These are the people, these are the ones preaching the everlasting gospel to the world. Now, let me ask you this. Who is the remnant there in Revelation chapter 12? Now, I don't have time to get into the whole, um, you know, study on this. But uh, who is that? Who's that mo who is this movement? Who fulfills all the identifying marks here? Revelation 12, 17. That's right. The Seventh-day Adventist Church movement. I like to put the word movement in there because, you see, I believe we, we are a movement of progression. You keep things moving. If we stand still, we're ruined. You see? And so it's the Advent movement. That fulfills all these identifying marks. No question about it. But you see, there's coming a time when God said, when God will stretch out His hand a second time to the remnant and recover the remnant in the Advent church. He'll have to shake it. All the sinners in the church will die. But there will be saints in the church, those that keep the commandments of God. They won't. And they will go out and give the trumpet a, 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 a certain call when the latter rain falls upon them. And they'll go out to Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon and they'll obey the remnant's call. And they're the, simply the ones that they say come out over my people. They're God's people out there who obey the trumpet call. Now, Malachi saw the same group of people. And I want you to look with me please. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Now you see before, um, well let me just read it. Malachi chapter 4, notice with me please verse 5. Here Malachi is looking 
down the end of time, just before Jesus returns, and he's in prophetic vision. And he says this, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the... Now, I'll ask you something. It says who's coming? It's the Elijah message. It's the Elijah, right? It's Elijah. Now, let me ask you this. He says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, when is Elijah going to come? I'm sorry? What does it say? What does it say? When is he going to come? <laughs> Tells you right there, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, what day is that? Do you know? No, no. Not the close of probation. Second coming of Jesus. Now, here's another question. How are you going to prove it? Right? Going to go out to the world and preach the gospel. Better know how to prove it, right? We're going to have to go over and give them the text. You can't walk around with, with, with uh, you know, all the rest. You've got to, have, got to turn to the Bible. Let me show you how you can prove this is the second coming of Jesus, right? I'm going to show you. Notice what kind of a day it is. It's what? The great and dreadful day of the Lord. The coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Keep that in your mind. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Man, the Bible is exciting. You know, there's so much in here, <laughs> and we haven't even tapped into it yet. We really haven't. Revelation chapter 6. Now, notice me, verse 14. And it says, and, the, and heaven departed as a scroll, when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of its places. Now, by the way, he's looking at the seventh seal. It says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens of the rocks and of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the land, for the great day of his wrath is come. This is the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Why the wicked themselves confess it. That this is the day of the Lord. It is the coming of Jesus, the second coming. Now, notice with me back in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. So we know clearly when Malachi said that Elijah would come, he's going to be coming just before Jesus returns. Just before Jesus returns. Now, it says this. He's going to send Elijah the prophet. Now, here's another question. Let me answer this. Is it going to be literal Elijah? Why, no, it's not at all, really. Because if you go back and study the prophecies in regard to the Old Testament Elijah, then the New Testament Elijah, and the fulfillment of John the Baptist, and here we find the third Elijah. And those prophecies and so on that were fulfilled in John the Baptist also have an application to the third Elijah because they take up the characteristics. And when John the Baptist was born, it says, and he, talking about John the Baptist, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he shall go before him. Jesus Christ. John shall go before Jesus. It says in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, how did John come? He came in the characteristics of Elijah. In other words, John the Baptist was going to now take up the same characteristics of the Elijah of the Old Testament. That those same characteristics that he had, John would have. Therefore, we find out very clearly that when Malachi prophesied of a third Elijah to come just before Jesus returns the second time, those characteristics that apply to, to, to John the Baptist, the second Elijah, and the first Elijah have an application to the third. 
Therefore, when Malachi was prophesying of Elijah to come, he was not talking about a literal Elijah. He was talking about a movement that would take on the characteristics of Elijah. Now, here's another question I want to ask you. Why then did God call this movement Elijah? Now, think about it. Really, seriously, think about that question for a moment. Why did God say... Now, because, you know, look, weren't there other godly prophets? Yeah, but Elijah didn't die, did he? You mean nobody in the Advent faith is going to die? Well, I was thinking of the 144,000. Yeah, well, but see, does that make up only the... See, but the, the Elijah here thought makes up more than 144,000. Let me ask you this. Let, 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 listen, listen to what I'm saying on this. God could have chosen out of all the Old Testament. There's a lot of Old Testament prophets that were godly, godly men. I mean, these were true men of God. And God could have just, you know, picked anyone He wanted. Uh, but, but God, there was a reason why God picked Elijah. There was a specific reason why God said, I'm going to call this movement Elijah. That's the whole significance. Turn with me to Kings, 1 Kings Turn me to 1 Kings, and notice with me please, in chapter 18, let me give you a little background. Listen. Elijah was living at a time of great national apostasy. The children of Israel were in gross iniquity. They were involved in Baal worship. Ahab was the ruling king. He had married a woman named Jezebel, and she was a pagan through and through. And she had introduced to the children of Israel the pagan worships and deities that she had worshipped for, for so long. And so she even introduced into the worship of Israel false prophets of her prophets, the prophets of Baal. And they were being there uh, teaching the children of God. Baal worship and Baal uh, and so on, image worship and, and the rest. Now, this was the time, as I say, Elijah lived in. God raised up Elijah for a specific reason. He raised him up to give a message to God's people. You see, God told Ahab, he said, or Ahab said, that, listen, gather the children of Israel together on Mount Carmel, and there we will have a test, and we will see whose God is true, whether it be Baal or the Lord Jehovah. And there, God, Elijah simply gave a simple test. Just a simple test. Build an altar, make a sacrifice, and the God that answers by fire, well, he'll be God. He'll be the true God. So, the prophets of Baal built their altar, sacrificed, and they started praying, and praying, and praying. But they received no answer, no call, nothing. I even went to the point why they were cutting themselves, spilling the blood out of their veins, hoping that this might appease their God. And then Elijah was poking fun of him because the sun was going down. He said, um, maybe you ought to shout a little louder. You know, maybe your God's falling asleep. And so they started dancing and jumping up and down and shouting. But that didn't do it. Finally, Elijah built an altar of 12 stones. Now, why do you think he took 12 stones? Represented the 12 tribes. Represented the 12 tribes. 
Where do you think he got those stones? You think he just walked around and started, found one over here and one down there, you think? It was just like in the earth and he dug them out of the earth. You know what that, where he got those 12 stones? It used to be an old altar that used to be used for sacrifice for Jehovah. And you see, Elijah restored the true form of worship. He built that altar of 12 stones, sacrificed. He built the trench around it, remember that? Poured barrels of water. And then Elijah prayed, and Jehovah answered by fire. But Elijah gave a message to the people of God. You see, why God called Elijah, or the movement Elijah, was simply this. Before the remnant can go out to Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon, you see, God has to have a perfect people. He has to have an Elijah movement. And so God raised up Elijah to give a message to the people of God. And those me, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Why didn't they answer him? Because they were guilty. You see, friends, Elijah gave the message simply, Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Where do you stand tonight? Why did God call this movement Elijah? Was because, you see, they had a special message, that's right, to give to the church and to the world. But before this church can go out to the world, God has to have a people in the church ready to entrust to them the gospel and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You see, God's not about to pour out the Holy Spirit upon men and women who were treated with disrespect and don't know how to do it. Because you see, actually, He'll be condoning sin. God's not about to do that. Because you know, in an Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but uh, let me check it out. But I think it actually says that the Holy Spirit is given to them that obey God. Him. See, the Holy Spirit's only given to those that obey. The Holy Spirit's not given to those that disobey. There can be no way. Am I right on that? Acts chapter 5. No, that's forgiveness of sins and so on. But um, here it is, verse 32. 32. It says, And we are His witnesses of these things, and also is the Holy Ghost, whom, Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them that obey Him, the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit's only given to those that obey Him. And God's not about to give the latter rain power to those that are not fully committed to Him. And tonight, my friends, the same message He's given out to, to people all over the world. The Elijah message, friends, whose side are you on tonight? Where do you stand? Do you stand for the Lord or do you stand for Baal? What are you going to do? God is calling you tonight to make that decision to stand for Him. My prayer is that you and I will stand faithful and true to Him, that we might be those that will give that trumpet a certain sound and go out to Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon, and they shall obey the voice of the Lord. And then that day God will have one fold 
and one shepherd. This is my prayer for you. Those of you that like to be a part of that, why don't you raise your hands with me? Praise the Lord. God bless you. Listen, in closing tonight, in closing tonight, why don't we have a special, special time of prayer? Special season of prayer for one another and uh, for the work that God has is, is given to each of us to do. Why don't we kneel together and uh, I'm going to ask um, Mark if you'll have prayer and I'm going to have prayer. And, uh, and uh, Roger, I'm going to ask you if you don't mind if you'll have prayer. All right? Why don't, um, Roger, you start off, Mark, and then I'll close. All right? But let's have a special season of prayer whereby we'll pray for one another and pray that the Lord will help us by His grace that we'll stand for the Lord and be partakers of those that are called into this beautiful message of the Elijah message and call out people out of Babylon into the beautiful church of Jesus. Let's kneel to you. Heavenly Father, tonight we come humbly before you to pray, to ask you for your power in our lives. We know, Lord, that without that we just are completely helpless. Lord, we need you so much. Mm. We need you to control our thoughts and emotions and every part of our being that we may return the glory to you, that we may be the people who you can count on to do this, to be part of this last final work that will bring this world of sin to, to an end mm-hmm. and that will bring in the peace and joy and the holy happiness of, of the reign of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Lord, we pray that Jesus may reign in each of our hearts. Mm-hmm. we may have the power to put self aside Mm -hmm. we may be reflecting your character Mm -hmm. to those about us Lord we do not know how this can be done but we pray for your, that your promise may be fulfilled in our lives, that just as, as Abraham did not know from a human standpoint how that promised child could come into this world, so we may have the faith of Abraham mm-hmm. to know 
fulfill if we but submit our lives and our wills to you. Lord, be with each one of us bound before you tonight. Also, we pray for those that are on, on the road going home. We pray that you will keep and bless them. Bless our brother Ray that you will bless his ministry particularly in this country at the moment. It is so uh, needed here in this land. Bless him and uh, Judy and Norman and Wendy as they travel around. Keep them and bless their ministry we pray. And we pray that you will Keep us till we're able to meet again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Father in heaven, we, we bow before you now as our creator and the creator of all things. And as the, as the only one that has the power to recreate in our lives that which was lost through sin, a perfect character. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray for grace that we may overcome all sin mm -hmm. and present to the world a character represents Jesus and, and we know Lord that this is the most powerful argument that there is Amen. in behalf of Christianity for it is a living example of your power and so Lord we we pray that the Holy Spirit will be with each one of us here and with your people around the world that we all may understand your truths and make a practical application of them in our lives. Lord, we know that the time is short and please reveal to us the things in our lives that we must overcome so that we can be ready when Jesus returns. Please be with Brother Ray and his wife now as they leave and guide them on their journey around this world, Lord, as they teach your truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, it is with great joy that we come before you because we know that you delight in giving your children good, get, good things. And tonight, dear Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit that we might be partakers of the heavenly calling. Oh Lord Jesus, help us to realize how much you truly love us and I pray, dear Lord, that these old stony hearts of ours will 
become like pools of water that would be so soft and so tender that they'd be filled with the love of Jesus that all the fruits of the Spirit will be there not one will be missing. Lord, give us the humility and meekness we need to walk with You. I pray, dear Lord, that You place a burden in our hearts for lost humanity. Help us, dear Lord, to be the men and women You would have us to be in this crisis hour. Give us strength, dear Father, faith to hold on, to believe that what You've given to us as a people and what You have promised You'll carry out if we'll but just cooperate with You. Father, we thank You for Jesus Christ and the sacrifice He gave on Calvary and now they're ministering in our behalf in the sanctuary of heaven to bring unto us what no other priesthood could and that is the perfecting of the saints. To bring us back to one with God. Bless us now, Lord, and keep us. And thank you in Jesus' name.